Hey, how's everybody doing? Good to see you guys. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4? You know, with us, we welcome you tonight, and we uh, just to let you know, we are working our way through Peter's first epistle here at Calvary on Wednesday night. And uh, we've kind of taken a little detour in our, in our study in 1 Peter, using chapter 4, verse 10 as a, I guess, a kind of a springboard to launch us into a study on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 of 1 Peter 4 reads, As each one has received a gift, those would be a gift of the Holy Spirit, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As we have already said numerous times, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are vital to the overall health and function of the local church. Paul knew this. That's why he admonished us in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1, that we must not be ignorant as to what the gifts are and how they work. Why don't you turn, actually, to 1 Corinthians 12. Gave you a little head fake there. Had you go to 1 Peter. I really wanted you in 1 Corinthians 12. As we have said, when it comes to spiritual gifts, the most comprehensive list of the gifts comes out of 1 Corinthians 12. Let's start with verse 8. Paul said, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith, the gift of faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. And then, as we've already pointed out at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he adds the gift of helps and administrations. And just to round out the gifts listed in the New Testament, in Romans 12, he talks about the gifts of ministry and teaching. Those are the very gifts Peter mentions in 1 Peter 4.11. And then after those two in Romans 12, he goes on to list four more. The gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, and then the gift of mercy. Now, last week in our study, we finished looking at the gift of miracles. And uh, the next gifts on the list are prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul takes almost the entire chapter to talk about prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. So let's save those three gifts for the end of our study because we will, we will wind up in 1 Corinthians 14. Right now, let's just take the next one then uh, in the list in 1 Corinthians 12, which will be discerning of spirits. And uh, we'll finish looking at the other gifts and then finish with 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as we look at those final three. So the gift of discerning of spirits. Turn to Matthew 24. And why don't you also turn to 2 Corinthians 11, just to kind of set this up. In Matthew 24, verse 24, the Lord Jesus Christ said, he's talking about the time just prior to his second coming. He said, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. Those would be miracles, genuine miracles to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And then in 2 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 13, we read, 
For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So the end times deception is going to affect the secular world. The devil's going to have all kinds of uh, deceptions, spiritual deceptions that they will buy into. But Paul said it's even going to come into the church where you're going to have these deceitful workers who um, pass themselves all off as apostles of Christ, but they're nothing more than ministers of Satan. Look, Satan is a deceiver and a counterfeiter. The problem is he's so good at it. He's so good at deceiving and counterfeiting that it is often impossible to discern the true from the false using our own natural senses and human understanding. That's why this gift is very important. The uh, spiritual gift of discerning of spirits. That's where this comes in. What is this gift? What is the gift of discerning of spirits? Well, first of all, let's define the word discerning. It comes from the root of the Greek word krino. Now, the Greek word krino means to judge. The basic meaning of discerning is as follows, and I quote, separating out for examination and judging in order to determine what is genuine and what is false. Let me read it again. That's the definition of discerning as we're applying it now uh, to our study. Here's what it means. Separating out for examination and judging in order to determine what is genuine and what is false. Look, Satan is the father of lies. The Lord Jesus told us that in John 8, 44. And ever since the fall, he and his demons have counterfeited God's word and God's work to deceive and mislead believers and potential believers into error and away from God's truth. Look, especially in these last days, all Christians should judge carefully what they hear on radio and TV or what they read in a Christian book. And I tend to stay away from the top 10 Christian books at the Christian bookstore, okay? Well, it closed down, but uh, the one I was going to, but there are, there's others out there. And you walk in, and they've got the top 10 bestsellers. I always stay away from that section because it's mostly all garbage. It's all the hot, uh, trendy uh, doctrines of demons that have been Christianized, basically, okay? But as Christians, we should judge carefully what we hear and what we read, uh, in the way of Christian teaching, and not just blindly accept it because, listen, the author or teacher has a large ministry and is famous. Uh, stay away from Christian celebrities. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that if a person has got a phenomenal ministry, that you, you know, that doesn't mean he or she is bad. But if they package and present themselves as, you know, like a big celebrity strutting around and uh, being all theatrical and wearing these big fancy suits and things. You know what? Uh, I don't read anything about Christian celebrities in my Bible. I read a lot about Christian servants and shepherds. Now, when it comes to discernment, there are two different kinds. First, there is learned discernment. Turn to Hebrews 5. 
learn discernment. We have so much, much to cover tonight. Maybe I'll just read the address and you can write it down. But uh, as long as you're turning to Hebrews, turn to Hebrews 5. Let's look at verse 12, starting in verse 12. Where the writer said, and I believe it was Paul, but that's not important for right now. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. But everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That is a learned discernment. It comes from knowing and listen, applying God's word. Okay, not just that you're a hearer only, but you're a hearer and a doer. That's how you acquire learned discernment. 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2 says, But there were also false prophets among the people in the Old Testament times, even as there will be false teachers among you who are in the New Covenant, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And Peter is talking about the last days. And um, when he talks about false teachers, you can discern, you can acquire learned discernment by knowing the truth and applying that to what you hear. We'll talk about that more in a second. So we're still talking about learned discernment. And one more, I'll give you 1 Timothy 4.16, where Paul admonished the young pastor named Timothy. He said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. The word doctrine there means teaching. And Paul has a mind teaching from the word of God. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. He's talking to a saved man. He's not talking about saved from hell. He's talking about save them from error and false doctrine. If you know the truth real well, it'll set you free, Jesus said. It'll set you free from the devil's lies. You'll know the truth. And the devil can't deceive you if you know uh, and operate in the truth of God. Look, as we get closer to the second coming of Christ, the Lord Jesus told us himself that false teachers and false prophets would be on the rise. They'd be on the rise. And today we see many claiming to be servants of God who speak on his behalf. They call themselves pastors, preachers, prophets, even apostles. But as Paul warned, they are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Uh, in my mind, this would include the group uh, known as NAR, capital N, capital A, capital R. It's an acrostic that stands for New Apostolic Reformation. These are a group of men that are getting all kinds of revelations and visions about what's coming in the last days. And basically, they believe that uh, there is coming a great revival. Now, I hope so. And we've been praying for this for years, okay? However, I have to be truthful with you. Now, I believe God can bring pockets of, he can bring anything he wants to bring. I believe he can bring pockets of revival here and there. But the kind of worldwide revival they're talking about, I don't see that in my Bible. 
I see the closer we get to Christ's return, there would be apostasy. There would be the increase of false prophets and false Christs. Uh, deception would abound and so on. I don't see how what they're saying fits into what my Bible says. I could be wrong. Maybe God is really speaking to them. I don't think so because of other things that are going on. So, uh, you know, stay away from... And somebody just asked me just the other day, what about this new apostolic reformation going on? Yeah, what about it? What do you think? I don't think much of it. Because I know the folks involved in it, they're all hyper-word-of-faith people, always seeing visions, always dreaming dreams. They're apostles, so they get new revelation. Stay away from those who claim to have new revelation. We don't need new revelation. We, it's finished, okay? We have all the doctrine we need for life and godliness. Now we just need to live it by God's grace. We don't need new stuff, okay? We haven't mastered what God's already given us, okay? And yet many Christians today are very gullible. Why are they so gullible? Because they're not getting fed the word. They're not taking it upon themselves to study the word. And so they accept these people uh, as men and women of God because they lack discernment or they refuse to uh, obey what Paul admonished in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 to test all things and hold fast that which is really of God. As I have pointed out many times in the past, guys, Satan has convinced many in the body of Christ that judging anyone for any reason is wrong. Their favorite verses to quote come out of Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, where Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you again. Well, that sounds pretty airtight, doesn't it? except when you compare it to other scriptures on the subject. And we realize what the Lord is saying is we can't judge people's hearts. We can't judge motives. We can certainly, and we're commanded to judge actions and words, not the least of which comes out of 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul said, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, when you talk about correcting, instructing, rebuking, there is an element of judging that goes on there. I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, I'm judging something that you're doing as being inconsistent with what the Word of God says, and I come to you, and I try to correct you, or maybe even lovingly reprove you. The idea is I want you and we want each other to get right with God that we walk in the Spirit and God can truly bless and use us the way He wants to. But so many in the body of Christ have been convinced over, I don't know, 30, 40 years, maybe longer, they've been convinced that all judging is wrong and forbidden by God. And what that has done is it has opened the door wide in the church for false teachers to come pouring in. And pouring in they have come. It's interesting, the Lord Jesus told us they were coming, beware. Paul the Apostle said they were coming, beware. The Apostle Peter said they're coming, beware. Jude said they're here. They crept in unnoticed. What? Everyone's warning us. How did they creep in unnoticed? Because the guardians of the church, the pastors, bought into the lie. They bought into the false teaching and therefore they welcome these false shepherds in, these false 
prophets and teachers, gave them their pulpit, and it's been a disaster. In Jeremiah 5.31, here's what, this isn't new. Peter said it. Just like there were false teachers among God's people in the Old Covenant, they're going to be among you in the New. Going back to Jeremiah 5.31, it says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? In other words, what are you going to do when judgment comes? Because you're not walking with me. You're buying into the false teachers and the idolatry, thinking it's okay. Because all these false teachers are saying, God loves you. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Well, this is Jeremiah. He's a, he's a negative Nelly. He, he just wants to, to bring you down. He wants to, to take your joy away. You're God's people. He says God's going to judge you. God would never judge you. You're, you're his people. So they beat up Jeremiah and threw him into wells and things. Poor Jeremiah, just trying to preach the truth. But you know what? It's just as Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. He said, the time is coming when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, healthy teaching from the word of God. Who is they? The world? The world's never endured sound doctrine. He's talking about folks in the church professing Christians who would not want to hear healthy teaching from God's word, verse by verse teaching from God's word, in my mind, is healthy teaching because you're getting the whole counsel of God. I mean, people are not going to be able to deceive you if they are taking verse by verse in its context and you're getting the whole picture here, right? But the time is coming when folks in the church won't want to hear sound doctrine, Paul said, but because they have itching ears, they're going to gather to themselves teachers who will feed them basically lies. And as God says to Jeremiah, my people love it. These false prophets, they love it. If there wasn't a market for false teachers, they wouldn't be around. Jeremiah 14, 14. And the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their own heart. Remember that verse when you watch TV and you listen to these televangelists. Not that they're all bad, but a good number are. And they're just, you know, throwing scriptures around. And But you know what? When you listen carefully, you can begin to pick out the heresy. And that's why John the Apostle said in 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And especially the closer we get to Christ's return, the more they're coming. Test the spirits. <laughs> when I was a kid, TVs were powered by vacuum tubes. Okay? My dad actually fixed TVs as a side job. And he'd take me a lot. And, uh, you know, he always had a, a TV toolbox with these vacuum tubes in it. If you ever pulled one out of your TV and didn't know if it was good, you could take it to any hardware store back then. Because when you walk in right there, there was often a tube tester. You plug it in, and if a light went off, it was good. And if it didn't, it was bad. You have to replace it, right? Well, then, of course, solid-state circuitry was invented. Those went the way of the dinosaur. But I've never forgotten that. Because when John says, 
uh, test the spirits to see whether they are of God. You know, I remember these vacuum tubes. And I'm thinking that, you know, God has provided a tester that you can plug teachings into, I suppose you could put it that way. And, you know, if it lights up and it, it, it's consistent, they're good. But if it's contrary to, and what is the tester? Of course, the Word of God. The Word of God. That is the, we all have a spirit tester. Next time somebody says that, they read 1 John 4, 1. Where can I get a spirit tester? Just show them your Bible. That's how you test the spirit. That's how you see what is of God, what is not of God. All teachers and all teachings uh, must be held up against God's word to prove whether or not these teachers and their teachings are really from God. And with regard to this idea that we should never judge, that that, that is somehow evil, it's unloving, God has forbidden it. The Lord Jesus said in John 7, 24, don't judge according to appearance. Some judgment we shouldn't do. Shouldn't judge the heart. Shouldn't judge a person by the outward. He said, but judge with righteous judgment. Acts 17, 11, talking about those in Berea after Paul preached in Thessalonica uh, and, and all. Then he goes down to Berea. And uh, Luke records in Acts 17, 11, these were more fair-minded, more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they, the Bereans, received the word that Paul preached with all readiness. I mean, they were willing. They wanted to hear it. But they went home and they searched the scriptures to prove what Paul had taught them was in fact truth. They compared the teachings of the great apostle Paul with the scriptures to prove Paul was teaching them the truth and the Holy Spirit commended them and recorded it in his word what they did. That's very important. I'll give you one more, Philippians 1.9. Still under the category of learned discernment. And this I pray that your love, this is Paul writing, that your love may abound still more and more in, listen, knowledge and all discernment. So Paul is not saying they're mutually exclusive. Either you love or you discern. He said, I want your love to abound, I love to grow and your discernment to abound all the more. It's the most loving thing you can do for a person to point out how they've been deceived by the devil to bring them into God's truth. How was that somehow unloving? If somebody has embraced a lie that can send them to hell forever, don't you think it's loving to try to give them the truth of God and get them away from that error? I think so. I don't know what Christian in their right mind would think that was wrong. Yet we have a lot of people who profess faith in Christ. I'm not sure... Um, many of them are, but they try to tell us that you can't judge at any time for any reason that's wrong. All right, that brings us to what we actually want to study, which is the gift of discernment. Now, most of the time, you can discern uh, spiritual phonies by holding up their lives and teachings to the Word of God. However, guys, sometimes the deception and counterfeit is so subtle that there isn't anything really tangible to go on. And that's where the gift of discerning of spirits comes in. That's why it becomes so important to the body of Christ. What is it? Well, it's an impression. Uh, nothing specific per se, um, but it's an impression from the Holy Spirit in your spirit that something is wrong, okay? So, something is wrong. This person is kind. Um, 
you know, they, they come across as a very spiritual, godly person. They quote scripture. Their ministry is being blessed. But as you look at them, it's like the Spirit seems to be saying to you, something's not right. This person is not operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an impression you get. How does it operate? Well, many times you just get an uneasy feeling uh, about a person or situation. You don't really know why. And uh, there isn't anything tangible to go on, like I said. Um, and if you point it out to somebody else who doesn't have the gift of discerning of spirits, um, they're going to think you're being critical-hearted, uh, judgmental, okay? Uh, you know, it's like, because, you know, here this person comes across, and everyone seems to love this person. I've, I've had people in the church. I remember one guy came years ago, and... Um, Boy, he just came, got right alongside of me. He was helping me all the time, and he was really young. And, and, all, and, and you know what? I had no reason to feel funny about him. Everything on the outside, and, and let me just say this. I believe he was a genuine Christian, okay? We're not just talking about deceivers, okay? Sometimes, yeah. But, but no, it also works with genuine Christians. I believe this gentleman was a genuine believer, but he, he got close to me, and he wanted just to help me, and he never did anything really wrong at all. But in my spirit, I felt like the Holy Spirit kept telling me, this isn't right, his motives are wrong. And finally, it came out, okay? Um, but, you know, you feel bad, because everyone was raving about this guy. What a blessing he is. Boy, God really gave you a guy, and wow, and then, you know, and... And I'm thinking, yeah, well, I don't really feel that way, but I could, maybe it's me. You got to be careful you're not just exercising, you know, uh, a judgmental, critical heart. You know, some people think they have the gift of discerning of spirits, where they really just have as a gift of criticism, all right? <laughs> you have to be careful, all right? I, that's true. Um, I'll talk about that more in a moment, but we see this gift in operation in Jesus' life. In Matthew 22, starting with verse, verse 15, we read, then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him, Jesus, in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone. In other words, you're no respecter of men is the idea, okay? Uh, for you do not regard the person of men. Now, they're, they're saying all the right things. They're praising him and, and so on and and they're not giving any red flags that they're, you know, they're just really being, you know, very nice and so on. Uh, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. See, that word indicates to me that he is exercising the gift of discerning of spirits right here. So Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me? You hypocrites, show me the tax money. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left and went their way. Two gifts in operation there back to back. One, the discerning of spirits. He perceived evil was going on in their hearts and then the gift of the word of wisdom a pearl of wisdom that just shut them down and they just marveled remember we talked about that we actually quoted this passage 
we looked at the gift of the word of wisdom. We see that Paul exercised this gift, discerning of spirits in Acts 16. You can turn there if you want. Acts 16. You remember this story. Acts 16, starting with verse 16. They're in uh, Philippi. It says, Now it happened, verse 16, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. Now, they didn't really know that at the beginning. Luke is writing after the fact, okay? But they didn't know initially what was going on. Who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, was that true? Yes. And this she did for many days. But somewhere along the line, Paul discerned, wait a minute, this isn't from God. And Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now, guys, this is an important passage because it tells us something important about demonic messengers. And that is they often speak truth. And that's what makes them so dangerous. That's why Jesus said, beware of false teachers, okay? Uh, they often speak truth. In fact, they often speak so much truth that many in the body of Christ are convinced that they are from God. But guys, let me just say this. It only takes a little poison mixed with a lot of nutritious food to kill you. Same is true with false doctrine. That's why it's dangerous to only know your Bible a little bit. Because if you only know the word a little bit and you hear somebody quoting scripture that you know, people assume, well, I, I know that verse. So everything they say must be true. That's not, no, absolutely not. Okay, absolutely not. I, I've seen this gift in my life, in, in my wife's life, many times operating over the years. And I'm convinced it's, it's been in operation in your life, whether you realize it or not. This discerning of spirit. Now, often we, when God begins to give you a discerning of spirits, that there's something is wrong. This person doesn't is not what they appear. Uh, initially, you know, you start feeling bad. It's like, Lord, God, boy, am I a rotten person? I mean, here's this wonderful Christian, and I'm thinking badly of them. But do you have a reason to think badly of them? Well, no. Have you thought badly of them in the past? Well, I just kind of met him, but no, I had no ill will. All of a sudden, this feeling has come upon you that this impression something is not right. Well, yeah, you know, maybe that's from God. Maybe that's from God. And it, it works in different ways. Yes, the Holy Spirit will give you a discerning of spirits that this person is a phony, that they're a demonic plant in your church. We'll talk about that more in a second. But it could be something very subtle like this Christian person who comes across so godly, they're living a lie. Start praying for them. Because eventually I'm going to have you confront them. Because I want them right with me. See, and, and just have this gut feeling, right? Several years ago, I was at a pastor's conference in California. And this is when Pastor Chuck was still alive. A senior pastor's conference, uh, just the guys. And this one Christian group was leading worship. Now, one of the guys was a pastor, Calvary pastor, and he had like nine people in his worship team that came up to do worship before the teaching. 
And I gotta tell you, you guys should have listened, heard how these folks sounded. They were as good as anyone I have ever heard on the radio. They were professional. They were gifted musicians. Man, did they have a sound. And they're going for it. I mean, it was powerful as far as just from a musical standpoint. But you know what? And this is not me. I love worship. I get into it. And I'm just thinking to myself, I don't feel God's anointing. This is professional stuff. I just don't feel God's anointing at all on this. I have no heart to even worship. I was feeling bad. I'm thinking, I can't believe how I'm feeling. And I thought, what's Pastor Chuck looking like? And he's about five or six rows ahead of me. I look. Chuck is just standing there staring. He was not worshiping at all. In fact, when he got up, he made a statement about people who present a professional front, but who are not being led by the Holy Spirit. It came out sometime after this that the pastor was having an affair. He was there that day. You know, guys, be careful. Again, be careful because it's easy to get into critical heartedness. To make snap decisions, judgmental decisions that, oh, the Spirit's telling me. Well, you better make sure it's the Spirit. You better not share it with anybody else. You better pray. Because if God is giving you a discernment about this person or their ministry, that's not for you to gossip. It's for you to start praying about and let God do what he's going to do with it. Uh, he may lead you to confront them, whatever. But um, we just have to be careful. There have been some times when I felt I had a discernment about somebody when I first met them. And, uh, you know, sometimes those first impressions can be, you know, maybe they're not good for some reason. And already you're, you're assuming, oh, the, the Spirit told me something about this. I just had a discernment. And I've been wrong. I've been wrong. As time has gone on, it's been proven I was wrong. They were a really a lovely Christian. And uh, I just had a bad impression. So I, I'd say that to balance this, because some people, you know, they start getting this discernment, and then right away, they're the oracle of God. Everything they feel, every impulse, every, you know, it's like, well, God's telling me, God's, maybe, but be careful. It can be dangerous, too, okay? I would admonish you, though, to pray for this gift, especially in the day we're living in, where, where deception is so rampant. We need to be more discerning. Paul, he said it, okay? And I think he was talking about learned discernment more, but you know, I pray that your love would abound and your discernment would also increase. We need that in these last days. I remember uh, reading a story about D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, right? Lived in the 1800s. And uh, Moody was uh, preaching somewhere. I don't think it was a church. It was some venue. Uh, it was like a, a, just like a, a, like a meeting room like this. He did a lot of uh, meetings where people would come in off the street, okay? But it wasn't really a church. Anyways, it was, a, it was packed. As it always was a moody priest. And he's, he said, I was up there preaching, you know, in the gospel and everything. He said, I just didn't feel right. I just, there was an uneasiness, an oppression. I'm like, what's going on, Lord? And, and I, you know, just praying under his breath, didn't, you know, falling over his words, just didn't feel like, it felt like he was struggling for every thought, you know, just obvious oppression and the holy spirit directed him to four guys that were sitting along the, the wall on a, on a bench and he had a discernment about those guys 
He walks over. Moody was pretty big guy. He walks over, picks up the end of the bench, and they all slid onto the floor. I, I forgot who they were. He chased them out. He discerned they were, I don't know, if they were Satanists, if they were just people that were there to just kind of disrupt. He said after he chased them out, peace of God fell, and, and, and man, it went forth in power. But he had that discernment that God gave him. Look, guys, the church of Satan has over, well, between ten and 15,000 members just in San Francisco alone. These often infiltrate Bible teaching churches all over the country. I'm just talking about there's a concentration in San Francisco. Um, it leads me to, it reminds me of a time years ago when we had a young woman come into our church. And I was asking Cindy to help me to refresh my memory. But this is going back a number of years, uh, back in the 80s, I think. And a uh, young gal, she came in and, uh, well, you know, she's in her 20s, maybe 25, 28 and a very nice lady, very nice and very, uh, you know, very kind and supportive of the church and uh, was always uh, volunteering to watch our kids, babysit our children. So we have a night out. And Cindy just kept having a discernment. No, like the Lord was telling her, don't do it. Don't do it. So she never let her babysit. Cindy had a strong discernment, but, but it started to become obvious that, that something was going on and God began to reveal things, and finally it was revealed that this, well, she left our church. She was a witch. And we believe she had been planted in our church, just like routinely Satanists will come. I just want to warn you. I don't want you freaking out, okay? And I don't want you, I don't want you looking at someone going, I think he's one. <laughs> he's Pastor Phil is looking, I, uh, no, get, get a little crazy, okay? Um, just for you to be aware that when they come in, they, they know how to do this. That, this is what they do. They infiltrate the good Bible churches. And they get close to people and invite people over for a barbecue. And you know, people are just loving them. And then they start sowing a little discord. You know, I was a little disappointed with Pastor Phil's message on Sunday. I didn't think it was really accurate with It's just... You know, starting to sow discord. And this is the idea, too. Satan has come to steal, kill, destroy. He divides, he conquers. Just be on guard, okay? Just be on guard. Now, we jump down to verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12. For the next gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the next one we want to look at is the gift of helps. The gift of helps. The word for helps is a beautiful Greek word meaning to, and I quote, take the burden off of someone else and place it on oneself. It's a beautiful thing. The gift of, and I'll just use the definition, the gift of taking the burden off someone else and placing it on yourself gift. That's nice. Okay. Look, at teachers may be the mouths of the body of Christ, but those with the gift of helps are the muscles of the body of Christ who do the work get things done, and uh, this is one of those ministries, this gift, giftedness, that Paul had just mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 that doesn't receive a lot of attention or get any real honor. And yet, like the circulatory system of your body is visible to the naked eye, it is nonetheless vital to the function of the physical body. The same is true with the gift of helps. 
It is absolutely vital to the health and function of the body of Christ. Listen, let me just say this. The people who have this gift are always looking for ways to help in church and serve the body. You don't even have to ask them. They're always looking for what they can do. Uh, without even being asked, they're picking stuff up and they're helping and so on. They're the first to volunteer whenever there's a church function. They're always picking up, cleaning up, carrying in, setting up, tearing down. They're like the worker bees in a beehive. They make church possible. These are the quiet saints who serve usually in relative obscurity, often in secret. But listen to me, the Lord who sees in secret will someday reward them openly, and that's for sure. Just like the man, and I heard this story, and I've shared it with you, talking about serving quietly uh, in obscurity, no attention, you're, you're basically invisible. Years ago, we had Dave Hawking come out to the church and teach. Dave is a big guy, he's a great ministry. He used to be a pastor. And you know, um, at one point in the service on Sunday, uh, he would say to people, look, in the back of your chairs, there was a little uh, tray that you had cards in and pencils. Uh, if you want to fill out a card, we can pray for you and so on, okay? Or if you want to receive, I want somebody to call you a pastor because you have some questions, write that, you know. And it dawned on him one day, who sharpens those pencils? Who does that? So he hid one night. On a Saturday night, he kind of hid off to the side. And sure enough, here comes the guy, gathered up all those pencils, began to take them and sharpen them one by one. Nobody knew this man. Nobody knew what he did. Dave said, I almost started crying. It was so powerful. Here's a guy serving like this in total anonymity. He wasn't looking to be, look at me, I'm serving. No, he's quiet, doing something that we would think was a little job, but he was faithful. And what he did allowed other people to write a prayer request out, ask for a pastor to call. Somebody can pray with me to maybe receive Christ. Jesus said, you can't give a cup of cold water to one of my little ones in my name without me giving you your reward. Many of these folks, this is who they are. God knows who they are, what they do. doesn't matter that we don't know who they are. God knows who they are, and they're faithful. Of course, this is in contrast to those who do help in the church while they consistently complain. You ever know somebody like this? Why do I have to do it? Why can't someone else do something around here besides me? Look, if you find yourself resenting the things you're doing in ministry, please don't do it. The Lord isn't pleased with service done out of a complaining heart. He loves a cheerful giver. So if you can't serve him with joy, don't serve him at all because he's not being honored. You're not being blessed. Stay home. Now, guys, I believe that Timothy had the gift of helps and used it to help Paul in his ministry. In fact, someone has said that Paul would have never been as great an apostle. He would never have done as much for the Lord as he wound up doing in, over the course of his life if it hadn't been for Timothy by his side being Paul's gopher and stuff. Okay? I mean, who do you think ran to the Starbucks to get Paul coffee in the morning? It was Timothy. Right? 
But he wasn't alone, many others. To the Philippians, Paul speaks of Epaphroditus. He calls him my fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister to my need, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. In other words, you guys can't be with me. He's talking to the Philippians church. You can't be with me everywhere I go. I know that. You serve me when I'm there, but you can't be serving me when I'm not in town. But Epaphroditus follows me around and picks up the slack. Wow. Whatever other gifts he may have had, Epaphroditus clearly had the gift of helps and ministered it faithfully, at least to Paul and I'm sure others. I will give you one more. This is very short because it's not, it's very simple. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, another gift of the Spirit, the gift of administrations. The word administrations comes from a Greek word that means to steer or pilot a ship. To steer or pilot a ship. This is a spiritual gift, guys, usually given by the Holy Spirit to the elders of the church, pastors, so that they will have the ability to properly steer the church and keep it on the right course. Uh, I'm talking practically now, um, organizationally. We read uh, Paul again writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.17. He said, let the elders who listen rule well, and the idea is they steer the church well. In other words, they're exercising the gift of administrations. Let them be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So in other words, especially the teachers, because there were administrative elders, and then there were the teaching elders. And Paul said the teaching elders are laboring in the word, they're studying doctrine, they're presenting it. This is what feeds the church and keep, makes it strong, Okay. So they're worthy of double honor. However, guys, this, this is not a gift that's limited to pastors and elders. I have seen this gift in, at work in my own wife, who has this gift, uh, and she uses it to run women's ministries and other things she does for the church and even at work. I mean, you know, when God gives you th this kind of gift, you're just gifted with administrative things and, uh, and so on. Uh, but uh, there are those who have this gift that run uh, men's ministries, women's ministries, Christian schools, even parachurch organizations, not just the leadership of the local church. Let's finish up by jumping down to 1 Corinthians 12. I just want to pick up verse 29. Paul said, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? but earnestly desire the best gifts. Now, the Greek construction of these verses tells us that Paul was asking rhetorical questions. Okay? In other words, he was looking for a no response to each of these questions. No individual believer, listen, no individual Christian possesses all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But each believer has the gift or gifts, and I believe it's often a, a unique blending, as we talked about, of gifts, but uh, each individual believer, individual believer, uh, has been given uh, to them by the Holy Spirit various gifts. These gifts are in accordance to the work God has called each man or woman to do in the course of their life. So if God's called me to be a teacher, but He only gives me the gift of mercy and not the gift of teaching, well, obviously I would be hamstrung. I wouldn't be able to do, and of course that would never happen. But I'm just making a point. 
that, you know, these gifts are given. People say, well, what are my gifts? I don't know my gifts. All right, well, okay, that's a fair question. What do you have a heart for? Well, I love to study the Word. I mean, I just, I just open it up, and I, just want, I could spend hours just digging out you know, the words and the historical context and just looking. I just really enjoy digging into the Word. And, you're a teacher. You're a teacher. God's given you the gift of teaching. You know, I just have a heart for the elderly. I, I just go by a nursing home or a, uh, an elderly uh, home, and I just, my heart, I just, I'm involved in the ministry to the elderly. I just have a heart for them. Well, you probably have the gift of mercy, among other things. Where's your heart, okay? What do you have a heart for? Because whatever God has called you to do, he has given you a heart for that and the giftedness to do it for his glory and bear fruit. What did Paul mean when he admonished us to earnestly desire the best gift? What constitutes the best gifts? Well, that depends on who you talk to. Uh, our charismatic brothers and sisters would say, miracles, that's the best gift. Miracles, man. Others would say, no, prophecy is the best. You know, prophecy is the best. Oh, you know, prophet for God, you know, that kind of thing. People ask me, well, what's the best? Paul says, earnestly desire the best gift. What's the best gifts, Pastor? It all depends what ministry you uh, have to do, okay, what you're involved in. I'm going to share with you an illustration my pastor uh, used to, to share on this topic. Now, I've stolen it from Chuck. It's mine now. I'm not, I'm not going to give you that disclaimer anymore. It's mine. What is the best gift? Well, in my garage, I have a variety of saws. I have several rip saws. I have a hacksaw. I have a hole saw. You say, well, Pastor, what's your best saw? Well, it all depends what job you have to do. If you want to cut down a tree, don't use a hacksaw. Use a rip saw. If you want to cut a piece of pipe, don't use, you know, uh, a rip saw or, or, you know, use a hacksaw. If you want to cut a hole in a piece of plywood, you need a hole saw. Whatever job you need to do determines what is going to be the best gift. The same is true with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We say, well, what is the best gift? Well, what, do you, what job you have? What do you have? What do you need it for? I'll tell you the truth. Every time I come to church, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, every single time without fail, it's five miles from my house to this building. And I pray all the way. And one of the things I pray all the time is, Father, Will you please give me four gifts tonight? Gift of prophecy, which means just God speaking, that you would be speaking through your spirit. You would give me the gift of the word of knowledge, uh, that, Lord, you would reveal something going on in somebody's life that I don't even know about. It just comes out in the teaching, and they're like, oh, wow, how did he know that? I didn't. You give me the gift of the gift of uh, word of wisdom, which is often where God will will. Take a passage and give new insights. Uh, things you maybe didn't see. This happened. I love when this gift kicks in. And I'm teaching the word and all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I come across a little few verses or a, a verse or something. And suddenly the Holy Spirit on the spot gives me something I never thought about. Uh, a, a deeper interpretation or something to come alongside that. All of a sudden it's like, wow, that's incredible. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And I share it then. The gift of exhortation is the fourth one, which is when the teaching is going forward, the Holy Spirit just 
quickens it to the heart, and people want to run out and do it, live it. Um, I remember sitting under the ministry of Mike McIntosh. This happened more than a few times. And uh, Mike, among other gifts, he's got, he's got the gift of exhortation going on. Because whenever Mike would teach, I seriously, I'm not exaggerating, I wanted to get up, run out, and do it. Okay, I just wanted, I wanted to run out and just do it. That, that's the gift of exhortation at work. Okay? Um, if I have to counsel during the week, I pray, Lord, I need the gift of, of helps, mercy, a discernment, a prophecy, because I want them to hear you, not me. So whatever you, know, whatever you have to do in the way of ministry, and of course, we want to covet the best gifts for whatever ministry we're going to be involved in, um, you come to God and you ask him. And then I always leave a little blank at the end, Lord, anything else you want to give me that I, you know I'm going to need, okay? But um, you visit somebody in the hospital, you pray for the gift of mercy. Just whatever you need for the moment. These gifts, guys, are important, very important. But Paul said at the end of verse 31, and yet I show you a more excellent way. As important as the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, and we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the, the Corinthian church had all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation in their church, except they didn't have any love going on. A lot of fighting, bickering, backbiting, you know, slandering, gossip. As powerful as these gifts are to the health and function of the local church, they're nothing compared to the love of God flowing and growing in the local church through a body of believers. The gifts of the Spirit are one thing. The fruit of the Spirit of something is something else. Love is not a gift of the Spirit. It is a fruit. The gifts of the Spirit can be given, well, and they are given immediately. They can be used immediately. You can be five minutes old in the Lord. God gives you the gift of prophecy. It's not a um, reflection on your maturity. You're five minutes old in the Lord. Uh, but it's there. These gifts are given by the Holy Spirit can be used immediately. The Corinthians had all the gifts going on. They were using them like crazy, and they thought, well, because we have all the gifts, we're really a spiritual group. We're more spiritual than anyone else. And Paul had said, yeah, I wish I could talk to you like spiritual people, but you're not. You're carnal, you're babes, you're fighting and divisions and all these things. That's why he went on to say, after he taught on the gifts, right between chapter 12 and chapter 14, he inserts chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the great love chapter. Speaking of God's love, agape. And that, guys, is a fruit. And as Jesus said in John 15, when you abide in him, stay close to him, uh, stay in the word, stay in fellowship with him, you stay connected in the practical sense. The spirit of God is flowing through you and the fruit of the spirit is growing. And love leads the list, doesn't it? So keep that in mind because I we have been emphasizing the gifts and I think it's a we need to balance how important they are but they take a back seat to love God's love is the most important thing my main prayer for our church is not that we would have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit I, I pray that but more than anything else I pray that we would have God's agape love flowing through our church because agape love Jesus said by that kind of love all people will know you belong to me that's how important that fruit is. So God willing, we'll come back next week and pick up our study. Father, 
We thank you, Lord, for your word. Again, your word is truth. It's a light into our path. If we walk in its truth, we'll never stumble in darkness or be uh, tripped up by deception. Give us grace, Lord, in these last days to know the truth and to know it very, very well. Because when we do, the devil can't fool us and deceive us with his lies. And Lord, we do pray that you would pour upon this church all the gifts of your Holy Spirit. And that we would use them, Lord, correctly and maturely and in the Spirit. But most of all, Lord, that the fruit of love, agape love, would be growing in this church in such a way as that when people look at us, they don't re remember a church that, you know, where prophecy takes place or even miracles. They think of a church where love is, your love. And that's the most important thing we can walk in. So we thank you, Lord. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll stand.